chin, 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 chin. I'm so glad we could do this. Me too. Um, if not for our own self-indulgence. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, you don't get that taste anywhere out well. Even in London. I, I, we're allowed to say it. Is it because of the water, do you think? I don't know. Yorkshire water, innit? You can't make beer. I feel like I try get, do you want me to go a bit low down? Are you sure? I'm a dwarf, innit? So, Nova Meets Podcast, it, it's, uh, we do highlights on YouTube and it goes on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. But Brian Noble is here, he's with us. International Rugby, Rugby League. Rubble, do you know what? Rugby start. I'm going to put rugby into a... Thanks, Nova. That's very kind of you. Yeah. I have worked in rugby union, so it's... That's amazing. You're a rugby, an international rugby star. Iconic legend. Not just locally in Bradford, but do you know what? Probably globally. Um, but most importantly, you're just the most genuine guy, wouldn't you? Most genuine guy than that. And I've always wanted to kind of just spend... Even, do you know what? Is that because I buy a beer? No, 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 it's just, you know what, I always have a pack of me. We always bump into each other, don't we? It's yeah. either at Graffit City, yeah. which you're a follower of, yeah. or at some gig or music, or just walking around the street and I get yeah. abuse off you down, you know what I mean? That's okay, you like to be abused, you know? Absolutely. So, um, so this episode is sponsored by Mill Valley Brewery, which is opposite my house. Thank you so much for your fantastic beer, which I'm going to take you to. I'm going to take you to. Um, but also, Chris Anderson's Smiling Dental Office. Chris Anderson. Chris is responsible for it because I don't know if you know this, but I've been 500 games of rugby league, your teeth shouldn't look like this. And Chris's talents over the years have kept them in reasonable shape. Yeah. Not brilliant shape, but I think Chris will be happy with reasonable. And people who don't know Chris Anderson is, he's the, well, Brad Bulls dentist, isn't he? Yeah, he's been through my particular good times at Bradford, good and bad, to be fair, because that's life, isn't it? Yeah. He's been there. Chris is a fabulous fella. Uh, I thought 100% bloke, and he, he's got a brilliant dentistry practice. And he's helped out players and stars and all the folk for a long time as Chris and I didn't realise he was sponsoring this song. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Yeah, he, he, he was, was a good bloke. Great bloke, um, great heart as well, do you know what I mean? Top and right. a great family. I'm, I'm best friends with his son. Oh, right. Chris, oh, Chris, Chris, Chris with his yeah, hair. Chris Big Hair. Yeah, yeah. So there's Chris, why not? There's Chris Big Hair. Let's kind of rewind. Bradford Lad. Yeah. Um, we spoke briefly in the car with a bit of music interlude, didn't we? Well, yeah. I thought music's good. We like you clearly. You like music. Yeah. I'm involved in sport, and you're involved in. And I think they're the two biggest movers of emotion on the planet: sport and music. Mm-hmm. And that's why sometimes when you get sports clips to music, it's just like, man, what's going on? So all the emotional stuff. But yeah, we we have a connection. Um, mine through sport, yours through music. Um, but I just think I'm such a unlucky guy in relation to what I've managed to do from. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still going, and so there's a bit of longevity yeah. there as well. I'm still, and I'm still trying to get better. I mean, I've thrown a couple of questions at you outside that people want not yeah. The responsibility on you now is for me to learn the guitar. You told me go learn the guitar. Which I think you're gonna do because I can't. I can't do. I won't do it. Now, now we're doing this, but I, I can't even play the triangle. You know, so I have a bit of rhythm. When, when it comes to music, what I've always kind of always gets me and you always you, you always get that same thing with people oh I can't sing me anyone can sing anyone can sing anyone can sing and to be honest if you, you put your mind to it you can do anything in life you can in the main yeah I, I, in the main I sometimes say it for yeah but there's no doubt that it's, I've seen too many people succeed when they should never have succeeded does right. that make sense yeah, yeah whatever obstacle was put in the way some of the players of course and some of the people I've met 
you can't do that, and they've done they do it. So you're absolutely. right. They absolutely do it. Just I agree with you. So what's it like? Being brought up in Bradford, I mean our Bradford lad, you're a Bradford lad, very we're very true to our roots. Very proud of where we come from. Um, really proud. So how did it all start for you going through the rugby world oh, right. to a professional sportsman? So if I was to do it in 20, is it 28 characters to, to, to give you that or something like that? So I got a bit longer than that. I grew up in Manningham, the quaint little village in Bradford. Um, and a lot of it is very multicultural. So Poles, there were, there were blacks, there were Asians, there were everything, anything you wanted in, in Manningham you could get. It was brilliant. So the choices of foods in different shops. So it, it really was. And everybody grew up together. And there's a police boys club, a, a, a club for young people. But it was called the Bradford Police Boys Club then. Uh, if you didn't want to go down the dark path, if you like, you were breaking the houses and things like that, a lot of people did, because uh, there weren't a lot of money around. You went to the Police Boys Club, and a fellow called Trevor Fosson, who was an icon in the city, big Welshman who'd come up to play rugby. He ran the rugby team down there, got me down there. One of those moments and meetings in life where you think, I can't let this bloke, it might not have happened. There was a fellow called Peter Craven as well, mm -hmm. who was down there. Anyway, so the, the Police Boys Club got me into sport. Got me into playing sport, got me into playing football as well. So they had a, you could do anything. Basketball was their main sport, which was one even heard of in the UK. They might be simply talking early 70s. Right. So basketball wasn't a massive sport here. It's like that. All sports now, mm -hmm. global. And so I grew up there. I got an opportunity to trial at Bradford, Bradford Northern, as it was then. Mm -hmm. And it just went from there. And it says it just went from there, but I used to walk. People say what well, kind of sacrifices it's a walk to train and things, but it didn't mean. But I was I wanted to play football. I'll be honest with you. I was big mates with Pete Jackson, who lived in the same area, went to the same school. Mm -hmm. Lily Croft and his mum and dad used to take us everywhere. This, that, and the other. And this is this what means to most people. Bradford City then was a professional club in, in the city, and they used to have also all their players who were players there, like Bruce Bannister, mm -hmm. a legend in my mind. Norman Corner was the big centre half and a school of football, which was weird. And I told you this funny before. The only rule is school of football I was go pick the ball up. And they'd have been a professional rugby player for the rest of my life and coach. So it's weird, that, isn't it? So anyway, from the progression of the police boys club to try and keep on the Twitter Twitter level, I went through the ranks. I'm fully professional, but it was only part time then. So I was a I was a policeman as well for a lot for 15 years. Well, yeah, as a part time. So you full. I mean, I captain was captain of the country. Uh, it was it was great PR for me to be in the police and to and to be a rugby player as well. So they they were smart. They knew what they were doing. And yes, yeah, so then fifteen after that, the game went full time in nineteen ninety four. And ended up being a coach as an assistant for a while. And then fifteen years as a head coach, which was full time for twenty years. I've been involved in rugby full time, longer twenty five years, thirty years. So you're part time professional player mm -hmm. as well as being in the police. Yeah. Played locally and played yeah. for your country. Yeah. Right, and that was, rugby was part time. Rugby was part time. It was fully, it was professional. Yeah. So it was like an add-on to you where like, these aren't the numbers, but for example, if you earn fifteen grand as a policeman, you could earn another fifteen grand as a as a rugby player as well, part time. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite lucrative. You know what I mean? Because you, the amount of money you you earned playing rugby league, then it was like, like there were proper men playing rugby league. I mean, I, I I'm telling you, proper men, not like me, not a girl like me. There were, like pork sausages for fingers. These were real. I'm probably honestly, I, it's hard for me to explain that. So pick like Featherston, the miners that were in there, and and you go to the heavy woolen areas like Batley and Dewsbury, mm -hmm. and the mill workers that were there. They, they, they came out and 
my weights when they were invented then, but they were giants of men, do you know what I mean? And, and strong men and, and honest men. And so if you said the wrong thing, you generally used to get a good idea. Um, so, but the game was very, very athletic, very fast. Even then, the game was, ball was in play more than any other sport, and that's transpired to the full-time era as well. It's a fabulous and competitive game. But I crossed eras. I started in that era, then it went a bit more full-time. A lot of them were full-time. Wigan, people will remember the Wigan team of the 80s that mm -hmm. won everything with Ellery Hanleys and the Joe Lydons and people like Andy Farrells came into that mix. They were the first full-time team, so they won everything. And then the game went full time, and so everybody caught them up. So I've transgressed all that era, so some of the stories are, are outstanding. But yeah, I've, I've managed to make a peak out. And then in 1984, I captained the tour to Australia. I was then the youngest ever captain. And we went away for 16 weeks. You know, you hear reports now on the telly that we've been away for six weeks or so long. We did another 16 weeks. It was that much of an adventure going to places like Papua New Guinea and wow, what a place. What a place, just go if you get the opportunity, you know, it does. And New Zealand clearly doing on New Zealand and Australia, so yeah, I've been a lucky guy. How much do you think you learned from the part time oh. part the part-time rugby in the early days? Mm. Coming into the nineties. Mm. Obviously into the like two thousand stuff, obviously obviously we'll, we'll get onto that, but what what was the difference on the part time then when you kind of like the ninety four, late nineties period? What did what did you learn from that then? Like tra that transition. Humility. Well, not so much. You, 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 humility was needed because, um, how can I put it? I'll give you an example, and I think it's a funny example. So when I, I signed, I, I played for Bradford Northern, I, I joined the police, and it was big headlines because the Bradford Northern professional day, etc. You know, I really had the full page of the, of the Sunday Mirror that weekend, which was unbelievable. PC 49 joins the Bulls, you know, with a big number one police stop signal like that, and a noddy helmet on, and things like that. And we're playing St. Helens next week and the scrum collapsed. And uh, there's a fella called Eric Chisnell, one of these giants of men I'm telling you about. And the scrum collapsed and I'm on for it. And he's got his boot right over my head like that. And he just looked down and says, not stopping much traffic now, are you, PC 49? And I, ah, and it all kicked off anyway, I got out. So you learn humility. And one of the toughest times in my life, and, and I should say this because it's a lot tougher for the miners. So, so a lot of rugby league players then were miners and the 84, 85 strike, which was devastating to our region. And all my mates were on the other side of the fence and I was a policeman in respect of going all over these places. Still rang them, still saying they're doing this, we're doing that. A lot of great stories came out of that. We all focus on the negatives. But there was a lot of great stories came out of that. And so you'd learn to cut your cloth to sue, you'd learn to survive and say, well, mate, it's just a job I'm doing. You know, even though the mates were there and things like that, it was tough, definitely, but fun. As well, you know, some of the some of the black humour that came out of that. I think we're in danger of losing that in society because sometimes we're not honest. And so it was, it was good, but it was it was tough as well. But yeah. I, I enjoyed it. And then got this full time era. Did they have as much fun as as I did when I was mm -hmm. a player? Probably not. I don't think they do because they are wrapped in cotton wool. Like professional athletes, they are the greatest athletes on the planet. Trust me, not. They, these boys are sixteen stone, ten percent body fat can run like the wind. We tr we, I coach, and when I coach, and all the coaches now are uber professional, because rugby league is at the forefront of science and always has been. Mm -hmm. That's the influence from Australia, by America. And so I'm in awe of them. They're such good, I look at them and I think, I'm such a fan of yours as well. You know, and I'm coaching them and speaking to them, I look at them and I think, they're wonderful athletes, but 
did they have as much fun as I did? I don't know. I don't know if they do. I, I can't answer that question. They probably said yeah, but, but I don't know. But I think you, 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 with the science behind it as well, one important thing, especially with any sportsman, if it's rugby, rugby or football mm. or cricket mm. stuff, dietary. When I played, it was right. You need eight pints of Guinness on a Friday night to put a bit of oil. You'll get big and strong then, lad. Just drinking it. Fish and chips three times on a Saturday before a game on a Sunday. Fish and chips three times on the because I was skinny as a kid. But you're right. The, the science and diets now are absolutely brilliant. There's no reason why somebody, if they've got a bit of determination, can't do anything with themselves. It's within reason. Mm -hmm. But then, it was a social game as well. So, for example, when I first started playing 18, 19, I was a whippersnapper. I wanted to do everything. I, was, I could run forever. I was, so I was a really fit kid. Because I wasn't a very talented player, but I was very fit. Mm. But to fit into the teams that I went into, Part of the social aspect with you had, a, you had a few pints of some of this stuff, which is lovely, so it wasn't hard to get into. So, Tuesday night was hour and a half training, then you walk across to the top house at Odsall, which was pub, and then but she's still there, five or six pints. Yeah, then on a Thursday, which is your big prep day, you go to for an hour and a half, touch and pass, learn your skills. These are a few plans, a few scrums through to all the top house, six pints. Final team run on the Saturday morning, bearing in mind it's it's uh, it's the day before the game, yeah. Team run half an hour. What do we talk about? Oh, the pub, five or six pints, and then after the game, oh my god, carnage! It's like so. The whole social aspect of rugby then was all geared around your mates, and you know, winning or losing, generally balled around how, how well you got on with your mates who you played with. As much as your skill, and you tell them not be crying anything. Yeah. You need you need some semblance of talents to win games of rugby, football, or play music well, but. If you didn't gel with your teams, I've seen players uber talented in that era, gotten out of the team by the, their peers because they didn't have a fight on a Thursday or a Saturday. And, but that was the way of the world then. And I, I, it's hard for me, I'm not criticising it. It was, you know, my lifelong friends come from that era. Mm -hmm. And I would, if they run me up, I would go die from tomorrow, from, from what we went through on, on, the, on, the, on the rugby field, you know, together. To get over the line. Now, as I said, I think it's a little bit more mercenary because there's good money involved. Mm -hmm. um, and but I, I don't doubt that they have the same kind of feel for each other. And I still think the most successful teams are the one that that have that uh, I call it a community spirit. I don't know if it is a community spirit. That common common cause, that that, that willingness, that fellowship, rather mm -hmm. than just the re the rewards of this is that we're, we're a great team together. And I generally find that a little bit of talent gets you at the top in the big finals that I've always played in. The paranormal, you know, if you've got a group of people that are prepared to work out at the right times of the year, you're going to have some success. Definitely. Never change that. I mean, you played for your city yeah. and you coach your city. Yeah. That must be extreme amount of, obviously, pride. So what was, what was the transition like and what was the feeling like when you, when you had that chance to do that for Bradford? I, I love Bradford. <coughs> Clearly, you know that because you know me. Um, and to play for, I only I played for three clubs. I played for Bradford North in four hundred games, and then in my very last season, I knew mm -hmm. I'd had it. So I went to Wakefield, Paul Wakefield Trinity Cup, told me, and I went as an assistant coach to a friend of mine, David Hobbs, mm -hmm. who was who I played at Bradford. And but I didn't do much coaching there. I ended up playing twelve games. Very forgetful, trust me. But I played twelve games, so that was my actual last season, nineteen ninety-five, I think. And then um, to, tra to transgress and to trans 
was Chris, to transfer those skills into coaching. I also knew I had to do an apprenticeship and Bradford employed at the start of the Super League in 96, Bradford were ahead of the game. A fellow called Brian Smith, who was a great Aussie coach, they had a, a marketing man called Peter Deakin, who was just like a dream ticket. Done all his, he was from Oldham, he'd been in America, he'd done his marketing degree in America, so he knew about how to create an event. Mm -hmm. And I knew, and I'll tell you what, for 10 years, the city of Bradford, at Bradford, and when, bear in mind, City were in the Premiership then, was a hub of energy every Monday morning. Whatever job he did, I promise you, it was great to wake up and go to that job. Because we were at the top of the game in Bradford uh, of the event situation. We used to get 28,000 people up there, and, but we used to have bands on, new, new oncoming bands, and mm. we once had like 300 Harley Davidsons going around the track. There's no, those that don't know, there's a speedway track around, so you can fit all the. As one of the pre match events, they had a gospel choir on this one, and I was the head coach, and I used to get lost on the field. I supposed to be in at ten to three before the kickoff, and I, I'd be with, I'd be clocking away with the gospel singers in the purple gowns and thinking, how good is this? Why wouldn't you want to come and watch this? And you get a game of rugby as well. But the pride that I felt then for the city was massive. And I used to speak at the council and things like, and speak to people. And when Bradford City were in the Premiership and the Bradford Northern Bulls, as they are now, were at the top of the tree in the Super League, now this city was absolutely bouncing. You know, the, the, so that's how I know that sport has much an impact on life, as does the thing that you like. Know, your music, nobody just it just moves people. You can move people from mm -hmm. their ordinary circumstances. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And some of the words that you'll sing about resonates with them, and they go, "That's me. That's me." They think it's them. You know what I'm saying mm -hmm. that those words. Cause I'm being in that situation, and, and it's the same with sport. Winning and losing. Talk about winning and losing. The, the euphoria, and then the, 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 the middle ground people say, just as long as you give that fifty percent. I think your original question was, well, I've always been proud, I'm proud of my calling and, and I love that and I want success for it all the time but, but being a professional, wherever I've been, I've always had that emotional attachment to trying to create something, leave a joint in a better state than when you came there. But yeah, from going from coaching to playing was actually mentally hard mm -hmm. because all the energies and all your violence that you have inside you in a rugby field in a controlled way, you can get out of your system and you, coaching's different. It's the second best to play. There's nothing like playing. But for you, all the things that you'll do in your life will be nothing like getting your keyboard out and banging some tunes out with your with your Yeah, you can't describe you. that. You can't describe what I know, and, I, and I'm mm. insulting you if I could. But I think I go close to that when I've been in the theatre yeah. of sport. Yeah. Obviously, massive memories from Bradford. Um, even when you coached, obviously, you coached at Wigan, Great Britain yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but one, obviously, I, I'm a Bulls fan, I support any Bradford team. Yeah, me too. I think it's important. Yeah. Every single team in Bradford should connect with each other. If it's Avenue, Bulls or City. Even, even the little small ones, Ecclesville, anything like that, should all connect. But some of your memories... And I played for Ecclesville United. There you go, that's what I mean. There you go. I bet you still like, follow them now, don't you? I don't know, but I should. But yeah. what I'm saying is, I'm very proud to have done that. Yeah. I play cricket for Bolton Villas, which is up yeah. there. I played, so I've always been associated Bradford Salem was my amateur club, was cricket. Yeah, yeah. And, and a bit of rugby union that I played there when I was suspended at rugby union. I just couldn't play rugby union. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I just think that we've got, we've got to keep those connections between. Because they, they do neural things to you. I don't understand mm -hmm. the science. You might understand neurology better than I do. I know a little bit about it. But you just you, you anchor, you anchor some of those things that are positive in your life and mm -hmm. playing sport getting all those energies out of you 
are that. Yeah, we should support Bradford teams, definitely. But I think one of your things, especially when I obviously saw you as a manager, as a coach, um, the way it was from the start of each game, it, you know what I mean? It wasn't kind of, oh, let's wait, let's wait. You, you, every single team you managed. No, start there. There, there, was a, there was a philosophy, there must have been some kind of philosophy because straight away, as soon as that whistle went, it was oh, obviously the hooter, whatever, it was kind of boom. Start big. Because yeah. I, I just don't know any, way to, any other way to start. I don't believe in going, like, let's build into a crescendo. Normally the game's gone by then. Start big, create an impact, and then manage the game from then on in. Yeah. I've always been a bit, that's a great philosophy to have. What I'm saying is don't, don't shoot your load at the start of the game. Don't get everything in the tank, get it out there. But if you don't impress upon the opposition that you're there for business on the game day, and your enthusiasm right at the start of the game, you're in for a tough 80 minutes. Our game lasts 80 minutes, of course. You're in for a tough time. So I've always been one for, bam, keep yourself in the game. Be really disciplined, be really tight, be aggressive, be fast, be energised, be on top of the team. And then you may be able to look after it 20 minutes. Because mm. the game can be gone in the first 10 minutes. You can lose a game at the start. At the st I'm big on starts. So the starts of games, the start of the second half, the starts of resets, the starts of set plays, as it will be in football and on. You can lose concentration there and lose a game, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I've always been big on starts and starts to sets and starts to occasions. And you couldn't do anything else when we're odd so. I mean, a bit of Wigan, which is a, a, one of probably the most iconic, one of the most iconic clubs in rugby world. You know, mm -hmm. you talked about rugby generically. Wigan is just known all over the world because of their unbelievable success for 30 years. I went there, it was exactly the same, same principle. Unless we impress upon the people that are coming to play at this, make your home field advantage, mm -hmm. your home field advantage. So, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Starting big's always been a, a big one for me. One memory when you were at the Bulls and stuff is the 2003 Challenge Cup final. Yeah. It's Leeds. Yeah. Um, obviously, Leeds and Bradford, huge rivals. Um, was it true you were stuck in a lift? I was. The were you really whistle. stuck in a lift? I really? Was stuck. So, we were at Millennium Stadium in Cardiff because yeah. Wembley was out of action and being refurbished. We're playing our nearest and dearest Leeds. And, and people talk about rivalries in sport. Speak to Brad Fordings and these people about the, the, the friendly animosity between each other. And um, and I just had a, such a great record at Headingley. When we used to go to their ground, we used to love beat one of my favourite days of the week going to Headingley and beating them. And then we get them in the final, the Challenge Cup final. We've got a good team, but they've got a good team, they're up and coming. We've every chance of beating them. And probably in theory should have beaten us on that day. Kevin Sinfield had a kick that he should have taken, all the controversy that comes with finals. Anyway. It's three minutes to go, and a couple of things happened. So with three minutes to go, the Royal Marines who were doing, I think it was the Marines, who were doing their billboards on and off for their presentations, ran on the field and the game wasn't over, this game was still going on. I'm going, well, they're coming on the field for the idiots. It's not even over. We thought it was over. We thought we were over the line and got beacon up and kick a ball in the car. Anyway, so, so then it's two minutes. So they get them off the field. They restart the game. I better get down the sideline because I want to be on the sideline. Finish the you yeah, yeah, boys. Yeah. Got in the list. The damn thing got stuck. So the final whistle went at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff with one of the biggest games I've ever won against the nearest and dearest. Everybody's going potty and screaming. I can hear the screams. I'm going, I want to be out there. I'm just going to what's happened. And now I'm stuck in the lift. Anyway, so come on. Where have you been? I've been stuck in the lift. The other thing was I wore the worst suit ever that day. I wore like a bus driver. I was in like a bus driver's suit. It was like a fawn colour. It was shocking. I worked with dressing <laughs> that day when I executed. I promise you it was the worst look you ever... A piece of paper, I specced it in, I felt like 
in Ostarsky and Orchard, oh, yeah, 70s icon, I'm a music rock star. <laughs> On that day, I was stuck in a lift in a shit suit, basically. I don't know what else to say. It was uh, Stuck in a lift in a shit suit. Oh, there you go. Whistle, Great name for an album. Yeah. That's your first yeah. album. Stuck in a lift in a shit suit. That's yeah. me. I'm going to play the guitar. I'm stuck in a lift in a shit suit. What am I going to do? I can't even play a guitar. I'm pretending I can't. Freaking fingers. Yeah, so that was a, bad, that was a brilliant day at the office. And all I always used to do, I used to sleep with the trophies. I was lucky. I was ruined. Seven or eight trophies. And I wouldn't let anybody else have the trophy that night. So that night, I'd sleep with the trophy. I'd probably do. Really? Oh, definitely. 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 Nobody else got the trophy except me. I mean, everybody passed it around with the communal yeah. drinking and everybody was... I made sure I was at four or five in the morning, whatever time we were going to, that thing was coming in. Right? And I'd give it back the next day. But yeah, weird, isn't it? The reason why I think professional sports so hard, especially if you're coaching, is... The wins start to last longer. When you've been successful, I was thankfully successful. Still am. I'm a director of the team now that's been successful. But but the wins up, so like the wins last that long. So I don't know how to liken it to a, well, your music. But, so you'd win a game an hour after. I'm thinking, right, what do we do this week to get over the next game? Mm-hmm. But a loss used to last all week. Like my guts would turmoil, and the only way you could put it right was to the next game seven days later. So win last was lasting that much, so the euphoria on a few beers with the staff, because clearly now in the professional era, the players are very limited in what they do, because they've got to win for swimming in the morning, for rehab, and honestly, they're brilliant people, icon. So that's why I enjoyed my era, because we used to have got a few beers mm-hmm. and celebrate and get out of the system. These guys have to wait till a special occasion so that, that they can do that. But, but no, and staff with it. But then the, the, the loss is just like, I can't try to explain. I'm trying to grab your guts yeah. in over and go. It's just this until you can put it right the next day. And so when you're on two or three or four of them, and then the pressure comes from, so the scrutiny that comes with from the fans. So like when I lived in Bradford and was coached, played and coached there for 20 and 30 years, if you got the off license, well, that was a lot of crap at the weekend, wasn't it, right? Yeah, it was a lot of crap like that. And so you have to take that. You've got to take it on the chin. If you live and breathe in the same place where you and then you'll read about it in the papers, so the scrutiny's there as well. You're reading about it in the papers, you're thinking, oh yeah, we've got a crap this weekend. And then you go, you see your mum, we haven't seen for a while. Oh, that would be a lot, because my mum's a Bulls fan, you know. Yeah. All my family are Bulls fans, they go, well, that's a lot of crap. It is, you know. So there's a lot of pressure, you don't understand. And then the, you go on a Tuesday night, the directors rock up and say, well, that was a lot of rubbish, wasn't it? What are you doing about this? What plans have you got in action to make sure it doesn't happen again? What was your kind of tactical thing with players when they were obviously losing to gain confidence back? Um, Within the camp, oh, with, with, any, with any with any team. yeah, couple of things. It, it's always the little things that you have to practice the hardest to put it right. So right. I never used to go for don't ever go for the big plan. That's in life. There is no there is no big plan. Don't ever go for the big plan. Yeah. Don't ever go for the big plan. Go for the little things that make the big plan. So I used to focus on three or four things for the game, yeah. and I used to say to the board of directors are the ones that are going to sack your bottom line. Be patient, they might go backwards before they go forward. Mm-hmm. If I was going into a new team, with the Bulls, we had a lot of substantial people, and they knew the good thing about that team was they knew when it was wrong and they knew what to do about it. So it still might take a week or two to be right, but you knew that they could focus themselves to get it right. If you were somebody new and you're going to try and change the situation, do you know what? Sometimes you can try too hard. So you might be the best musician in the world and something's not quite right. You're walking away from it. 
we can't quite do that because there's a fixture every week. Yeah. And maybe walking for it and, and, and analysing it and thinking, I'll do it this way this time. And then it flows again. I, more often than not, taking for a pizza and a beer. As a group of people, if you've got disharmony, bond again. I just, I just believe in teams, and, and you work in teams with your bands, and and you see people are in teams. All these little small businesses are the same. If you don't have a connection, it's going to be tough. That might be a connection of mission, you know. Unless we're winning seven games towards twelve games out of the seven, twelve to to get to where we want to be, we ain't going to be in here. So you give them a mission, you give them a. You get, but you have to know your reality first. Does that make sense? And this is where we're at, guys. And you might do that over a bit. I'd do that over a beer and a pizza. Yeah. So you take them out of the work environment where they, they come expecting, I've got to work hard, and nah, I'm going to chill. There's nothing, you, nothing you'll ever do on the practice field can make them take, make Johnny run, if you like. Make them take that extra step. So you've got to, you've got to get a connection with them. What do we want to achieve here? Mm -hmm. What can we achieve here? Do you think we can do it? All those kind great, of questions. Great point. Great point. So I never used to. So when we do tough times, more often than not, I get them in a bus and I, I, they won't they won't like me for reminding this. I remember we were sticky. We had six, seven, ten years unbelievable success at Bradford. And one of the tactics was we were coming up some big games and we lost a couple. And it's unusual for us to lose a couple of games in that particular team. And so I went down to the local Oxfam shop, for those who don't know Oxfam shops, where they sell all old people's clothes and for charity and things like this. And I bought 30 dresses, wigs, bags and women's shoes. And I said to the players, when I met with Bagron here, we're going, we're going to look, Uni, Bradford University swimming baths, we're going to swim up and down here. And whilst they're all changing the swimming baths, I stole all their clothes and just put women's clothes out. And so then got three mini minivans. And close, clearly we're known in all the Bradford area, but there's this place close to Bradford called Ockley. That has more pubs like this per square mile than anywhere else in the country. And it's it's a, it's a bit of a farmer's community rather than a... It's gorgeous, it's a gorgeous spot. Beautiful, it's a gorgeous spot. Beautiful place, Ockley. <coughs> and so anyway, I said, but, so they did the bit of a swim, got out, and they had two choices. Walk home naked or get in a dress and get in a bus and come drinking in Ockley. And we spent the whole day drinking in Ockley dressed as women. Oh, I'm talking about icons of the game, the Robbie Pauls and Henry Pauls and the Joe Wanganars and the, and the Stuart Fieldlands and Jamie Peacocks were all dressed in. And they had to wear the wigs and the handbags and the shoes and the dresses. And it was one of the best things we ever did. We had such a That life. is amazing. We had such That's a That's amazing hearing that from professional We had such a life. Well, I mean, I don't know that any other, anywhere else could that. And I don't know that you get away with it today, today's environment. But we have to say, like, that was 2005, I think, or 2004. And I have to say it was one of the best coaching things I ever did. Wow. Unbelievable. And I tell you what, we never got some of the dresses back, so I'm going to have to speak to those players to this day. <laughs> Moving on, obviously, well, staying with rugby. And I think in, in sports, especially football, mm. the VAR situation, mm. um, what, what, what's your view on that? And... Do you think it should be a lot more like the Super League, like cricket, where you hear the referees? What you find about Super League is that it's been at the forefront of sports science. I don't mean just nutrition and um, conditioning, I don't mean SNC, I mean rules and administration. It's mm -hmm. been at the forefront, it was the first to bring in um, video replay mm -hmm. for entertainment. 
Um, is it infuriating? It can be if the result goes yeah. against you. But would say in the main they get the results right. I think cricket have got it right. Do you know what? Because they haven't. What they haven't done is usurp the authority of cricket umpires. What they've said is they might have got it wrong. That's all. And there's no vilification there. Rugby league still now. If a referee gets it wrong, oh, they're home drawn and quartered. If it's shown to be different on the video, on the, the video replay. But I think if you if you should look for an example of where football should go and what they got to because you know them as well as I do, football fans are let the most least forgiving people in life in society. Mm. Bar none football fans. What they've got to get is to get to the cricket situation where an umpire will give somebody out and the decision comes and it's not out, it's just one of them or one of them and they've got it right. Nobody says the umpire is a dick or whatever. The umpire's crap. You can't make the umpire again because it's so fast. What the what they're adjudicating on it's millimeters and the balls this and the lines that. And you got people like Joffrey Archer now slinging the ball down at 120 miles an hour. Do you want to? Did he nick it? Or did he nick it? Yeah. And I think they've got it right. Bang on. Rugby league still for me is right. Mm-hmm. I'm the forefront. And I think with VAR coming into into soccer, soccer, or football, professional football in this country, they've got to find a way of protecting the referees. So mm. it wasn't the referee's decision, it was a VAR decision. And do you know what? All the VAR decisions in the main have been right, haven't they? I think the Man City final one, or semi final, yeah. you know, when you watch them ones, there's some, some, some ones where you think, well, that's, 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 that's um, a rule. A deliberation rather than a decision deliberation. So if it's on the penalty, mm-hmm. somebody needs to clear up for the fans that well actually these are the rules. If it raises an arm or it's not in a natural position, then it's a, a as Chris Waddle would lovingly say, a penalty. Mm-hmm. So that I think they are good, and I think with the amount of money in professional sport now, and look at the, the, the Premier League. It's like I think it brings something like I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. Think of eight billion pounds. Mm. Eight billion pounds from all over the world comes into the Premier League from their coverage all mm. over the world. You can't tell me that it isn't right to put VAR there because what one decision might cost the club a million, two million, ten million. Mm. A prospective. I'm slabbering. I'm getting that excited by it. A prospective silent a signing of eighty million. I'm going to spend eighty million on this on the back of a VAR decision. Mm. VAR decision. They might not be able to do that. Mm. So they've got to get it right. So VAR has to come in for football. But as well in football, should fans hear what the discussions are about? Yeah, that, that's the question you asked me, and they ignored you. Uh, yeah, I think they should. They're hearing cricket now, and and in the national rugby league in Australia, it goes out over the um, uh, the tunnels. Yeah, yeah. The decisions go out over the tunnels. Mm. Yeah, I've seen this guy and he's touched it and it's clear knock on, no try. Mm. And everybody goes, oh. Yeah, yeah. Diffuse it. So if you don't do that in football, it's like a murder mystery. So I get your question now, yeah. Norbert. Why did why was that disallowed? You'll just get more questions, you get answers. So the, the need to either have a tannoy system or you're gonna have to go for screens in television yeah. and that's the decision. There's your decision. If this is this and this, offside. Absolutely. Otherwise, you know you know like down a holiday parade, they'll rip the joint apart. Oh my gosh. Here at Toronto, Wolfpack now, mm. flying high at the top of the league, sir. Mm. Right, yeah. Great city, by the way. Great city, unbelievable city. city. The future of rugby, mm. in the next two or three years, 
What do you personally, which direction do you see it going, honestly? Well, I think sport's going global. I think it's the only way it's going to survive in relation to eyes on screens. And, and whatever we say, it's the television companies and broadcasters that are paying the most money for sport. Mm -hmm. So we have to be smart. If, if we have our old ideology of community, I grew up in a community game. I'm part of a community, Manningham and Police Boys Clubs and then to Bradford Northern and then to Bradford Bulls. Same all over, the north of England, we have these hotbeds of community for our version of rugby, rugby league, Featherstones and the Castletons and the Barrow up in Cumbria and Workington and Whitehaven and Wigan, St Helens, Warrington area, that side of Manchester, Hull, two big teams in Hull. So it's very, very much better. But for us to survive, in 1895 this game was born out of Northern Millowners saying this is rubbish and we need broken time. So the mill worker said, well, if you want me to play rugby for your team, sir, you're going to have to give me a quid in my boot because it's, I can't afford to live. It was that kind of situation, so they decided to pay. And so they broke away from the rugby union in 1895. In 1995, the game went to summer, which was another groundbreaking moment. You know, summer rugby, Christ, are you bonkers? It's played in the wind and the rain and the snow and the mud. But it revolutionised the game and became event-based. So we have fun, it's attractive, it's a brilliant, brilliant sport, it's rugby league. Very com combative. That's what the Americans are finding attractive and the Canadians. So I think we're at that moment again. I think we're in danger of going backwards unless we find another market. Mm -hmm. And I think North America's the market. I think you'll know with your travels over there, the sports people over there, they're revered as much as any businessman, any politician, any doctor or surgeon. The reverence for professional sport in North America, and include Toronto and Canada in that, is um, unbelievable. And the amount of money in, in professional sport in America is ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, so there's a picture at the Blue Jays where we go regularly to watch. It's on more money than the whole of the Super League salary cap. So every team and every player, there's a picture getting paid more money than that. I'm not suggesting we'll ever get to that stage, but I think it's a new market. They love it, they're getting 10, 11,000 people rocking up. I don't think they know it's a difference between MMA and NFL, but the, the contact and the constant movement and the skill levels, they really love it and they're becoming very, very knowledgeable in relation to the game. So I do think it's a new market that, that in the Super League has to look at. Mm -hmm. and rugby league in this country has to look at because of the potential. I, I, I was in Toronto two weeks ago and the Raptors won the basketball chat, NBA. Mm -hmm. There were two million people on the streets of Toronto. Two million. Two million. Nova, honestly, this is... This is and in 2012, they had less eyeballs on them than we have on us now, social media-wise, TV-wise. Uh, so all those people that count the, the mm -hmm. eyeballs on people, we have more in our third year than they had in 2012 when they were developing. So if we got 1% of what they had the other day mm -hmm. on the streets, we're quids in. And, and, it, and we are growing in, in Canada. So I'm a bit of a missionary. I love my game. Two miles up the road, I started playing. And so I'll never change that aspect. So I think it's a place for everybody in the game, the community mm -hmm. game and everything. But I think that's the way the game has to go. I think we're at a moment in time where they may be forgotten in some respects or will be what I firmly believe it to be the, the greatest team sport of all time and bear in mind I grew up as a footballer yeah, yeah. I wanted to be a footballer and then I got this other thing that I was reasonably good at and so 
I really, I, I'm quite passionate about that. But I think anybody that's successful has to be passionate about that. Absolutely. Toronto, Wolfpack, director of football there. How did that come about then? Was that just... Do you know what? Was it a phone call? It I'm was, not Brian McDermott's there, he's, he's there yeah, now. Yeah. To, so it was a blank piece of paper. Basically, somebody shoved a blank piece of paper under my nose. A fella called um, Adam Fogarty, you remember? Gorgeous George in Snatch. He was a rugby league player. Um, he plays yeah. Gorgeous George in Snatch in the yeah. film. He's an actor, he's a big, big part actor, big giant yeah. of a man, lovely bloke from Huddersfield up the road. Um, he was mates with a fella called Eric Perez, who had got Toronto, I think they call the Wolverines, which is their national team. So yeah. there's a bit of rugby league in Canada. God knows how long, but there was. And they'd had 8,000 for a game against the USA, so they thought, oh, some legs in this. So they wanted a team. They were starting three runs down the line in League One. They'd been accepted into the rugby league, the bottom tier. And so, <laughs> believe it or not, it was at Greg's, it was a Cornish pasty at Greg's. So I'm into this wonderful world of you've got to eat spinola and spinach, and you can only have so many calories, and the sports science of this world, I've got up to speed with all of this. I'm jamming a Greg's Cornish pasta in my mouth down at uh, Cleck Eaton Roundabout. Oh, yeah, Chamber. Yeah, Chamber. So yeah. down at Chamber. I'm gonna, and Foggy walked in. It was a big giant of a man. Oh, Robbie, how are you doing? <laughs> so I put some black piece of paper under me off. We're starting a team. What do we do? And the, it was literally that. And so awesome. I'm putting Cornish pasty flakes all over this piece of paper. Never even spoke. Never spoke about money for a few or three weeks. Are you interested in coaching the team? They wanted me to coach the team first because I was out about the action. I'd just finished it. Um, was my last gig? Salford. I'd been sacked at Salford uh, 12 months previously. I'd gone and travelled the world with a company teaching team things. Mm -hmm. And I got back in and said, What do you think? I said, Well, Canada, really? Like North America, really? Like, how far is it? I said, no, we've got, we've, got, we've, got a, we've got an airline, Eric Paris, we've got an airline on board, they're a major sponsor, they'd be all right, we're flying seven hours here and five and a half hours there, I'm thinking, well, well, I'll give you some thought then. And it just literally went from there, met again, met again, met again, it just, it, then it, I got the bug, I'm thinking, because when I get into something, I want it to be successful, I know it's a weird thing, mm -hmm. but I don't want to leave, as I think I said it earlier, I didn't want to leave anywhere in a worse state than when I, when I joined it. Yeah. So I thought, no, I'll put it in. It was nothing to do with the money, it was to do with the challenge. Because I'd pretty much done everything else. Nine, ten trophies in the game. I'd saved Wigan from relegation. I'd put them and left them in a better place, training mm. ground. Went to North Wales, a team that hadn't won a game the whole previous season, and we finished in the top eight of the Super League. And I was like, oh, God, I'm... And then I went to Salford, which was another experience. Tried to buy a team, learned some lessons there. You can't buy a team, you've got to build a team, and all of those things. And then I got this blank piece of paper. And I'm thinking, are you up to this, Nobby? You know, speaking to yourself, a bit like you, when I saw you sitting up there talking to yourself all the time, I'm thinking, are you up to this? Are you doing this? Well, that's nearly four years ago now. We've been in the league three years. We've, we, we fell at the final hurdle. So here's the difference. So in North America, why I think it's got such good legs, they love sport. And we had 12,000 at the game against London Broncos. London Broncos beat us to go to Super League. They're in right, Super yeah, League this yeah. year. And we lost this game. And I was like really keen to get it. I'm doing two years. The orders have said five years to do this. I'm not going to do it in two years. You might not want to win it, but I want to do all of this. In the hindsight, probably one of the best things that happened to us getting beat. We got beat in the dreariest game of rugby I've ever seen. 4-2. Rugby league's renowned for scoring brilliant tries. Mm -hmm. Two penalty goals against one penalty goal. And I'm 
desperately, desperately miserable at the end of this game, thinking, oh God, another year in the championship, oh God, how do I do this? And, and I came out, and these 12,000 people just so euphoric, and I'd forgotten my own principles. It'd be like you, like when you play somebody some music, the world lights up. And I'd go out there, I never had so much confidence, thanks for bringing this game to Canada, thanks for doing this, thanks for... And I want that enthusiasm back over here, and I, and I learned a big lesson that day, wow, we've got such a wonderful product. And sometimes it takes a bit of time to be successful. So I got a sock on the chin and gave myself an uppercut, and we went round again. So yeah, it's a good adventure. It's only potential, at the end of the day, yeah. I can just put it on there, nobody can ever guarantee anything. So yeah. the potential of that place, could revolutionise our game. Thank you to Mill Valley Brewery and uh, Christopher Anderson's smile for his perfect dentistry. Look at that. Fine customer there. So, cat or dog? Cat. You haven't got a cat, have you? I used to have two massive Maine Coons. Did you? Yeah, I loved them. But they're massive hairy ones. They're like, they're like Norwegian forest cats, the big and the I'd have, a, I'd have a leopard and a lion if I could. If they allowed you to have that kind of thing, I'd have a cat. Would you? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And if, if I was to have a dog, it'd be like a big Irish wolfhound thing, you know, and I'd, I'd have a good wrestle with it. But cats, mate, bigger the better. Bacon or sausage? I did Danny Baker's sausage sandwich game. I went for sauce on top. I think I'm going to have to go for crispy bacon. Okay. Brown or ketchup? Oh, ketchup. Sauce. Just gave myself up in the previous answer. Ketchup. Yeah. Oh, ketchup? Really? On a crispy bacon? Yeah, well, oh, let me explain. So, Hammond's factory, they used to make HP sauce, used to be at Appley Bridge. Yes. And it has the Houses of Parliament on it, HP sauce, Houses yeah. of Parliament. Yeah. I used to hate the taste of it. I couldn't get anywhere near it, so it'd have to be tomato ketchup. Fantastic. Yeah. Favourite holiday destination, and you're a traveller. You've travelled. Spoil, aren't I? Yeah. So, if I was to go to New, New uh, Australia, it'd be Noosa, up in the far north. Love Toronto. Love all the big cities I've been to, and I've been to a lot. I'll tell you what's grown on me in recent years. London. Really? Because I used to think it was the worst place in the world. Yeah. I used to get on a tube and think, how do these people exist? And what the, it's so crowded and packed. But I've come to terms with, I think it's the best capital in the world. You can do anything mm. at any time of the day in London if you know what you're doing. Yeah. I used to go for my summer holidays to London. I've got some relatives that were in the Elephant Castle, so I used to go down flat there. My Uncle Charlie used to take me places and things like that. So I have an affection for it. Um, but I like the East Coast as well. So if you see Side Town on the East Coast or Tokyo and you. Oh, man. Whitby. Robin Hood's Bay. Oh. Have you ever done the Whitby to Robin Hood's Bay walk on the coast? Just do it. If you ever want to just go, just bugger off, right, on your own, right? Get to Whitby, stay in Whitby, and walk. It's about nine, ten miles. Get to Robin Hood's Bay, do the booze in Robin Hood's Bay, and just get a cab back. I'll get the bus back or something, whatever. Unbelievable. Really? Top, great, all right? Yeah. Favourite food? Favourite food? I haven't had a steak for 12 months, but I used to love Philip steak and chunky chips. Um, I do chicken salads now, can you believe it? A big fat lad like me does chicken salads. But if I've ever been away, because of the part of the world we live in, yeah. if I've ever been away, I've ever gone, the first place I go to is the Victoria Chip Shop at Guysley, and I am at the fish and chips, Addicon chips, I'm sorry. 
but it's just like it, oh. it just doesn't taste like the way it does. We, we, the Yorkshire fish and chips, unbelievable. Yorkshire fish and chips, real ale, and the curry we have are ridiculous. I'm not so, so having a city where it's just like at the, at the top of the tree in those respects. So I grew up in Bradford, so everybody was weaned on curry. Yeah. And if you didn't have a curry after a night out, you were like social. Yeah. Yeah. Go leave, leave the world. But fish and chips, you know what? It's it's such a convenient, healthy food. My mind, I love it. And that's the difference between Yorkshire people and Lancashire. And I think Lancashire people watching our podcast today. I want to ask you why you put cod as your choice of fish is beyond me and batter. Has to be had. Of course, I've got to be had. Meatiness. If money was no object, Ryan. Yeah. Where would you live? Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Private jet, three friends, where are you going? Private jet to New York Giants game. I'm a big I'm an NFL fan. And in that would be Muhammad Ali would be my first choice sportsman. Mm-hmm. He's the reason why all sportsmen make money these days. He's mm-hmm. I, I, I was recently watching Doctor Soap on him, not that I hadn't watched everything that's ever been written or read about him. And he modelled himself on a fella called Gorgeous George, who was an American wrestler. People don't know this. He was a big fat boy with a blonde hair, but he was noisy. Yeah, yeah. And I just think I admire him on a number of fronts. The fact that he took political stand as well through mm-hmm. his life and stood for something. But the fact that, I tell you what, a, what an athlete and what a boxer. So he's coming. I'm going to bring Rod Stewart only if it's pre-1975 because I want some music I want some raunchy music I want some street fighting man sort of music you know I want I want that I want yeah. somebody that brings me back and, I, and can do a little bit of a, a love song as well and then uh, who else so I've got Mohamed Ali Russ Stewart you don't have to be a third person if you don't no, no 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 I think we've got two good people but you need a balance don't you so yeah. I'll probably bring a comedian alright and I'll probably bring Billy Connolly only because I yeah. love comedians. Mm-hmm. I love Bill, I, Billy Connolly. He was the comedian of, of my era growing up. Yeah, he yeah. was the one that broke the bank and effed and jeffed on telly and, and told stories that related to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I grew up like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did then. So he was telling funny stories that yeah. I had experienced. Well, I tell some people some stories about what I did when I was a kid now and they go, you're a diff you do, You've got an idea what you're talking about. But it's so funny. No, but it's true. No, and, and I think Billy Connolly was the groundbreaking comedian of our time. He's amazing. Amazing, man. Unbelievable. That'd be a good plane, wouldn't it? You'd oh want to be on that plane, wouldn't you, You'd have to film that, wouldn't you? you want to be on that plane, I bet the conversations it? on that plane would be just kind of random as anything, wouldn't they? You've got a legend of rugby. You've got an iconic uh, sports person. Man in life, yeah, yeah. Yeah? You've got an inspirational musician with stories from the rock and roll era. Right? And you got Billy Conley just absolutely making you laugh, but he's accent. You know what I mean? Can yeah. you imagine that? You but then you look like flying. Are you talking serious, Mohammed? They have to keep that. I keep flying me with bail so I could enjoy the fight. Maybe get a drink on there, you'd be fine. What people don't realize about Ali as well is he, boy, he used to take the Mickey out of himself. Yeah. He was such a funny man as well. You know what I'm saying. But isn't that a good thing, though? With, with people. Of course he is. So you, you, he had his yeah. beliefs, but he also was a funny man, and he used to rip the crap out of himself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the standard in life. If you can accept that you're flawed, that was we all are, and you can rip the crap out of yourself. Yeah. It's a good place. Unbelievable. Can you cook? <laughs> I can do beans on toast really well. Right. I can do scrambled eggs from a microwave ordinarily well. I think my best meal is a chicken salad. Really? Yeah. I'm a 
the cat, so in essence, I can't cook now. So your chicken salad, you've got a knock on the door. Yeah. Who's coming around to try your chicken salad? Dead or alive, anyone. I want two people sitting around the table eating your chicken salad. You've got a nice, uh, a nice shabbles as well, just on ice, ready to go. Looking over the Yorkshire countryside. I'm going to shock you here. Go on then. Gen one of the sporting icons that I grew up with, I just used to hang on his every word, the fella called Brian Clough. And I would have, Brian Clough for me was like, and I, I thankfully got mates with Martin O'Neill through my career, as oh, you do right. meet other sports, and I still hadn't spoken to him for a while, actually. Give me a guilty uppercut there, I should have spoken to him for a while. Um, and Martin used to tell stories about Clough that I'd only dreamt about, you know what I'm saying? And I used to think, and he's every, but what such a knowledgeable fourth and bear in mind he went to Bradford City's nearest rivals, nearest and Davis for 60 days and mm. they made a film about that. Yeah. I damned grew United. Up, damned United. <clears throat> Brian Clough would be one, he can have a chicken salad with me. And I can't have Marilyn Monroe, because she's dead, isn't she now? It don't matter. Dead or alive. That's a good question, number. Do I need a, who else do I want there? You know, people might have gone for Winston Churchill, but probably better drink better than I would. No, I'd probably go for someone like, I don't know, Scarlett Johansson. Nice. Wow. So, like, me and Brian can talk about. So, Brian's, Scar two Brian's, and Scarlett Johansson. Yes, yeah, strange, eclectic mix. That, you ever meet, you meet Brian? Did you ever meet Brian? Met him once, but he was a, in the circumstance where I couldn't speak to him. So, I was in the same room, so that's like meeting him for me. But I, I'm not, clearly, I've met lots of. What everybody would consider, I've met loads and loads of people at yeah. the top of the game and things like that. But how, how many you get close to? It's, it's quite a lonely life. He's a, a sports coach. I'm not afraid of sympathy or anything like that. But yeah. you're constantly trying to find an edge over somebody in your own game. So I used to travel the world. I, I went to American football. Mm -hmm. You know, I met Bill Parcells when he was at the New York Giants and Mike Shanahan at Denver Broncos. I know you spend a bit of time in Denver now, and. Um, and getting some things out with me is hard, so I studied, like my mentors used to tell me, studied all the top of trees of their sports to try and get, I used to pick stuff up from basketball, things like that, I used to watch basketball and say, oh, I can take that into rugby and make a skill out of that, and an activity to keep the players from being bored. So yeah, I met lots and lots of people that other people would think, oh, you met him, yeah. So, so I learned as much from a friend in, uh, in F1 called Jock Clear, there was a senior race engineer, yeah. many world champions. Mm -hmm. And he's at Ferrari now, Jock. He was at uh, Mercedes. He went to Mercedes and prior to that, he was BR down, uh, down south. And I went one day and, and the information they processed, so I was trying to get some out of it on communication, but the information they processed, and you know a little bit about tech, honest, uh, gigabytes of this and gigabytes, the amount of information going into an F1 team is unbelievably mind blowing. Mind blowing. So you can see why they're at the forefront of that. Why do the cars do it? Why do the industries do it? Because eventually it ends up in one of the cars that you see out here. Yeah. Something like flip flappy panels and all this almost comes into the cars out it here at the end of the day. That's how they justify it, I think. But what do you think your 16 year old self would say, you know? When I got injured in a couple of cases, I came back too quick. So if I was being selfish, I'd say rehab properly. Because it, it has affected me later on. You know, some of the injuries I've taken are, are a little bit limiting me now. Uh, but, no, a 16-year-old would probably reinforce the fact that 
in many respects, I couldn't do the things I'd done for where I grew up. Mm -hmm. With too many barriers and not things. But, but I did. And so I, I just think it just reinforced the fact that as a 16 year old in this country now, it's better than when, even when I grow up. Mm -hmm. You can be anything you want to be. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. Race, creed, or colour, whatever disadvantage this, disadvantage that. If you can get some good help at 16, you can be anything you want to be in the world. You can be an airline pilot, you can be a rocket scientist, you can be the best geometrist in the world, you can be, but you have to be passionate about that because you have to spend a lifetime doing it. So don't funny around with stuff you're not passionate about. Well, there you go. This is legend Brian Noble. Thank you so much for taking time out. Seriously. It's been an absolute no, no, do you know what I mean? Slapsuit. I'm being a massive fan of you, but not just that. You're an absolute gentleman. You're a gentleman. And so are you, and that's uh, why. And I'm... you know what? You're such a kind of you're iconic, and you're very influential. Influential. Yeah. For people, these young sports people. Now I, I want to get in the game. Yeah. I think it's so important to see someone like yourself speaking so highly of not just rugby, sport in general as well. Well, and the life like and the ABCs and it's so so important. But one thing we are going to check up on later in the year is your you learn the guitar. All right, remember that. You put it on, haven't you? We are going to put it on. Two things. You've actually done two <coughs> things to me today. So you see, like rock star. So just look at the camera. See that twinkie twinkie. Yeah. I'm going to do a twinkie twinkie because I think I pinched his glasses, but I will give him back because I know he's quite like. Do I look like I have a star skill hutch? If I get a twinkie twinkie, would I get away with the rock star look as well? I'm asking, and I think I have a chance of pulling it off. Camera's just turned off, so I'm gonna say bye. <laughs> <laughs>